Hi, can you guys hear me okay? This was on Monday, November 7th, around 7 p.m. in the Falmouth Select Board Room at Town Hall. I'm Evie Fashon. I'm a student at the Woods Hole Oceanographic Institution, and I'm here with a group of students and technicians. Evie and the group from Hui were not officially representing the scientific organization, but rather their collective struggle to find housing in Falmouth. Uh, I know everyone in this room recognizes that workforce housing in this community is a serious and worsening issue, but you might not always see some of the faces that are attached to these struggles. We could tell you about unexpected losses of housing and months searching for new rentals, or about colleagues who have been unable to leave bad living situations because they couldn't find a new place to move to. Uh, but rather than go into our personal experiences, since we are scientists and data-driven, we actually wanted to share some numbers with you. So for years, Hui has hosted a community housing page on their website, which has served as a general community resource for listing and finding rentals. We used archived data from this page to pull out some key statistics. Uh, so between October 2004 and October 2022, total listings have gone down by 74%. Someone looking today sees only a quarter of the options that they would have seen 18 years ago. Moreover, the proportion of listings that are left are mostly seasonal. Over half of the rentals now listed are only available in the off-season. As stock has decreased, rental prices have skyrocketed, far outplacing inflation and wage increases for this period. This is obviously an unsustainable situation. We can't compete with vacation money, and we won't be able to stay. Science institutions and, of course, other businesses and towns won't be able to hire new people if these trends continue. So we're just asking for the select board and town government to make affordable and attainable rentals a priority in the coming months. This could involve rezoning, uh, promoted development, or creative solutions about limiting Airbnb and short-term rentals. So just thank you for keeping this in your minds moving forward. You're listening to The Upper Cape Catch by The Enterprise, where we bring you audio stories on the latest news from Falmouth, Mashpee, Bourne, and Sandwich. I'm Noelle Ananen, and today we're going to hear about the housing crisis, first from the people who have been impacted by it most in Falmouth, and then from people who are doing their best to change it. My name is Gilda Geist. I am a news reporter for Falmouth, the Falmouth Enterprise even, and I'm a producer here at the Upper Cape Catch. Gilda has been reporting on the stories of people trying to find stable, affordable housing for the last few months. She's prepared two of those stories for this episode. Can you introduce me to Jesse Remond and Tracy Sylvester? Jesse Remond and Tracy Sylvester uh, are a couple. They live here in Falmouth. They're commercial fishermen. You know the Fisherman's Pantry on Palmer Ave across from Coffeeo. That's that's where they sell fish that come out of a co-op that they're part of in Sitka, Alaska, which is where Jesse's from. They have uh, two little kids, ages five and nine, a son and a daughter, um, and, and they go to school here in Falmouth as well. And right before Memorial Day, the busiest day of the year, the first day of the busy season for the family and their business, as well as the rest of Cape Cod, the timing maybe couldn't have been worse. <laughs> they got a letter telling them that the house they had been renting was being sold. They had until the end of June, just over 30 days, to move out. They didn't have anywhere permanent to go. Looking for permanent or semi-permanent housing um, at the end of May is like impossible because the rates are really vacationer rates, not resident rates. They had been planning to go camping because they had been living in a seasonal rental. They didn't want to move down Cape even though friends offered them places to stay. I knew moving back that housing can be tight on the Cape, but when I moved back, it was the pandemic hadn't happened yet. And now we feel kind of stuck because we we evolved our business plan during the pandemic to serve the community and provide food. This is Tracy. She's originally from the Upper Cape. It's like it's not so simple for a family with kids to just move to the next town. 
Tracy and Jesse didn't want to uproot their kids, especially when COVID-19 restrictions were just beginning to lax, giving their nine-year-old daughter a chance to go to school with some degree of normalcy again. When Tracy told her daughter that they might have to move, she was devastated. And when I told her, I literally saw the joy, like, leave her face. Tracy and Jesse wanted to stay as close to Falmouth as they could, for their kids and their business. They managed to stay in the area, but Gilda said in order to do so, they had to move around a lot. They'd moved five times over the summer, and where they ended up staying was in a couple of houses where they pet, like, pets at dog sitting, cat sitting, and then they stayed with Tracy's dad for a little while. He lives he lives here in Cape Cod. And then a few nights where they had nowhere, where there's kind of a gap, they ended up staying at a hotel. Which for Cape Cod summers was really expensive, and the family took a financial hit. Meanwhile, they were trying to keep up their storefront, Fisherman's Pantry. They had to cut back to doing only weekend opening hours so that Tracy could take care of the kids while Jesse ran the store. If you don't have a home, it's hard to get a babysitter because where do you tell the babysitter to go to? You can't just like leave the babysitter at someone else's house and go to work. They were trying to apply for housing and finding a way to pay for a permanent place was harder because of Tracy's student loans. And then if things hadn't gotten hard enough, they got sick and that became like a huge, huge, enormous stressor on top of already the stress of Tracy looking for housing. She was primarily the one like sending out these housing applications while Jesse was working. In August, the kids got sick and then Tracy got really sick. She said that she was in the hospital for five days. I saw it impact their physical health and their emotional health 100%. And that's where I was just feeling really fed up with the cave, ready to close the shop and just like move and just quit trying to be a part of Cape Cod. When they first arrived, Tracy had been hoping that the family could find a fixer-upper or a starter home. Still, most houses were out of their price range. She had known that there had been a housing problem for decades. And as she applied for houses, Gilda said Tracy felt that landlords were denying their applications because of their kids. Basically, when landlords heard that she had kids, they would start like asking questions that, that she thought were, were overly personal, um, including like whether she planned on having more children and when. And she said one landlord even like was like, oh, let me meet your kids and like, we'll see. And then gave a tour of the house to her and her kids just to say, oh, no, sorry, like we're not taking you. A stable living situation eventually kind of fell into their laps. Friends of theirs who were living in Woods Hole were moving away and they're now renting their place to Jesse and Tracy as of September 5th. So they're, they're kind of good for now, but each family member is still kind of like sitting with everything they went through. Like, even though they're safe now, it, it's not really over for a lot of them. Jesse and Tracy both told me that they kind of still feel vulnerable and still feel like tired and stressed with that, having that cloud of like housing insecurity looming over them all summer. Her five-year-old, you know, they had been in their new house for a little while and he was still asking like, oh, when are we going to move again? Like, when do we have to move? Not understanding that like... Actually, this is permanent, like, or I mean semi-permanent, but like, there's no more moving. Mm -hmm. After those five months of trekking all around the town, they're, they're good for a minute. While Jesse and Tracy's family is settling in as best they can, Tamsin Trow and Trish Bonavere are waiting for the day they'll be displaced. A day that is coming, slowly but surely. There are, a lot of people didn't know this, I didn't know this, a lot of people I talked to didn't know this, but above Eastman's Hardware on Main Street is a set of 11 apartments. That entire block of the hardware store in the loan apartments, referred to as the Eastman block, was for the past, like, pretty much 100 years owned by the Eastman family, most recently Chuck Eastman. 
Chuck Eastman had a mutual understanding and trust with his tenants. Gilda said all of the tenants have nothing but good things to say about Chuck. And the tenants were close with each other as well. And that's how... They knew it was going to be sold. Everyone was like, worst case scenario, rent hikes. The tenants who talked to Gilda were only paying between $700 and $850 a month. And the block is in a great location in town. That price point is like way below market value. And like they knew that, everyone knew that. And the rent was kept so low at the will of the landlord. When Chuck had to sell the building, he sold it to Anwar Faisal, a Boston-based developer who owns a property management company, Alpha Management. Then, in late September... What happened then is not rent hikes. What happened instead was every tenant of the Eastman block got a letter taped to their door from Alpha Management saying, you have until October 31st to get out. Alpha Management said the tenants had to leave because the apartments are unsafe. Which, that's technically true in some ways. There's a lot about the building that isn't up to code. Think issues with railings and heating. It's an old building and it needs some work. Of course, being told to get out would be stressful for anyone in any housing situation. To add to that, many of the people who were living in the Eastman's block were older. Some retired, some living on unemployment, some living on social security checks. Their options were particularly limited. Some people were able to move off Cape, one person was able to find a place in affordable housing. In the end, everyone ended up having somewhere to go except for two women who I spoke to. Trish Bonavere and Tamsin Trout. As far as we know, they're still there, almost a month later. And this is because of a legal technicality. Piece of paper that says, taped to your door by your property manager that says you have until October 31st to leave. It's not legally binding. The tenants were technically given 30 days notice, which Alpha Management could do because Chuck Eastman's tenants were on verbal, not written leases. Still, evictions go through the courts. Falmouth Human Services reached out to the tenants and held a legal guidance session for them. Tamsin and Trish were told that they could wait out the eviction process as it takes the next few months to go through the courts, and it's not even costing them any money to stay. Because they are being evicted for a reason other than non-payment of rent. For Tamsin and Trish, the odds are in their favor with the court process. And sometimes judges, if they know that the person being evicted and is in kind of like a vulnerable situation, they may give them a little more time. Tamsin and Trish are both a little bit older and they have nowhere to go. So it's sort of expected that the courts will grant them a little bit of extra time that they need to find a place. And finding a place to stay in the housing crisis is obviously a time-consuming process. Tamsin, for one, didn't have anywhere to go when she found the eviction notice on her door. Up until uh, pretty early on in the pandemic, she had been working as a licensed independent clinical social worker at High Point Treatment Center in New Bedford. Tamsin had to stop working during the shutdowns and has been collecting unemployment. As restrictions laxed, she wasn't able to find a job. Wherever she looked, people told her that they wanted someone with recent experience. She didn't have the chance to save up enough for first and last month's rent with security. And even places that have been offered to her don't suit. They don't have enough space. So Tamsin told me she has been clean and sober for nine years. And there's lots of things that contribute to that, including her um, AA community here in Falmouth. Although that seems to be waning as well. She says some of those people are moving away. But so another big part of it is her art. Her apartment, it's covered, every inch of it is covered in her art. It's, it's pretty cool. Yeah, so she does a lot of like, like collage type stuff. So she'll do paintings, collages. She likes, she'll decorate like bottles that she finds, like rocks. Not to mention the supplies. Artwork is like saved her sanity, she says. Um, she said it's like something, one of the only things she can do that like still helps her, her self-esteem. 
and she couldn't find a place with enough room for her art, and she knew she wouldn't be able to pay for storage. She's working on getting rid of some of it, but she still needs to find a way to move. And then there's Trish, who has been in her Eastman apartment for 35 years, and she really doesn't want to leave. Trish is Miss Falmouth herself, basically. <laughs> she was born and raised in Falmouth. She pretty much only has left to do uh, the Air Force and college. And after that, she's back. Trish works at the Royal Falmouth Nursing and Rehabilitation Center. That is, it's like her family to her. Like, she's not not willing to give it up. From the old Eastman's block, Trish can walk to work, to the grocery store. And this is really important because Trish has what she told me. She has a driving phobia, and it pretty much rules her life, she said. So getting an apartment further down Cape does not work for her. But Trish is confident that she will not have to move. The positive outlook that she has is, like unmatched you know she's telling me her faith is really important to her and that is something that helps her uphold this positive attitude because i'm you know i'm asking her i'm like where are you gonna go like what are you gonna do and she's like it's gonna work out trish got on affordable housing lists as soon as she knew that chuck eastman was going to sell the building but she's still really far down on those lists the eviction process in town can take months at least six weeks tamsin and trish are waiting for alpha management to file the eviction suit so for now it's a waiting and a searching game Lack of affordable housing has been an issue on Cape Cod for a while now, but for a lot of people, the pandemic has made things even worse. But as the situation has gotten more dire, local organizations, businesses, and community members have been coming together to try to figure out how to solve this seemingly insurmountable problem. Most recently, hundreds of Cape Cod's residents gathered in Hyannis for the Housing to Protect Cape Cod Summit that happened earlier this month. The size of the audience was about 400 people. It was packed, and it had also a waiting list. And they weren't just, there were tons of officials and, you know, agency people and nonprofit people and government people, but there were a whole bunch of just residents who want to know how we get out of this crisis. That was Martha Ross, a reporter for the Falmouth Enterprise. She went to the summit earlier this month, and this was her big takeaway. We know the issues, we know all the impact of this, and we know how devastating it will be to our economy and the way of life here. What do we do now? The summit was organized by a coalition made up of the Housing Assistance Corporation, the Cape Cod Chamber of Commerce, and local realtors and developers. Senator Julian Sear was there along with economist Tim Cornwell, who gave the keynote presentation. Each speaker and panelist brought a different perspective, but they all agreed on one thing. To tackle this issue, we need to work together as a community. The essential message from Senator Sear and from others were that it has to be a grassroots movement. Business is not going to be able to do it alone. Developers can't do it alone. We have to somehow get to our individual community planning boards and zoning boards and town councils and um, select boards and get them to help us move in the new direction. Everyone working together and engaging in local government in order to solve the housing crisis? That sounds great. And I think a grassroots is really a great idea. I don't know exactly how that will work. Uh, you know, everybody hears the horrible news and then and digests the data and then goes home and, and has a meal and goes to bed and gets up the next morning and we go to work. And Martha makes work. a good point. We've known about the problem for a while now, but there's still no clear path forward. 
And if that doesn't change soon, Cape Cod will see some major shifts. Talking with the chamber, they they feel that um, we will see businesses closing as a result of this. I mean, if you can't generate the business because you have to cut back your hours because you don't and days because you don't have the help, then you don't have the revenue to keep your business going. If you spend any time in a commercial district on the Upper Cape, it's almost certain that you will see at least one help wanted sign, if not more. And according to a petition on the Housing to Protect Cape Cod website, the average Cape Cod worker cannot afford to rent or buy a median-priced home here on Cape. Already, thousands sit in bridge traffic every morning and every evening to come sell us our food, teach our children to read, fill our prescriptions, and even report on the local news. And even if land and money for affordable housing developments magically materialized overnight, Developers at the summit warned audience members that lead times for building projects are getting longer. According to Martha, developers say planning and designing and getting the right permits takes two years. And that's not even counting the actual construction process. That's a long time. And what the message was in this summit was loud and clear. We're running out of time. The shortage of workforce housing is also affecting the demographics on Cape Cod. The median age here on Cape is 54. And while there's nothing inherently wrong with having an older population, it can reach a point where it becomes economically and politically unsustainable. We are becoming a very retirement community. And do we want that? So I'm one of those retirement people. And we're good for the economy in that we don't drain the system. We don't need schools anymore. We don't need a lot of different services. But we're not the future. We need the future generations here, and we have to get ourselves under control with how they can afford to be here, and there are different ways to do it. But at the same time, Martha says, our older population here can be a great asset in the fight against the housing crisis. A significant portion of the Cape's younger workers can't actually live here in the community, making it difficult to get involved in the types of grassroots movements the summit was pushing. And many younger workers who do manage to live here are busy working, sometimes multiple jobs, to make their monthly sky-high rent. An older community typically has a lot of experience, a lot of life and professional experiences, so we could be a real resource. I think it's getting us to have the resolve to lead this because young people are just not here or they're in those young years. In my 30s, 40s, and 50s, when I was raising children and developing a career, I wasn't really involved in a lot of public issues. I was busy paying the mortgage and, you know, going to traipsing kids all over for sports and events and the arts. And so I think, however, through churches, through the chamber, through community groups and agencies that are dealing with young people, are dealing with homelessness, are dealing with unaffordable housing, we have to galvanize each other to come together and form some kind of corpus that will move this along. It's not going to happen all by itself. So from what Martha is saying, it sounds like there are a lot of people on Cape Cod with the time and resources to help tackle this issue. So what's everyone waiting for? Martha says there's a mindset that seems to be holding a lot of Cape residents back from making meaningful change when it comes to affordable housing. And that mindset? Affordable housing, but not in my neighborhood. And this is the problem no one seems to want to talk about. Here's Martha. That is kind of an elephant in the room that um, is hard to address in a public forum because it, it makes you sound very selfish. Um, and it also makes a big, wide-painted uh, opinion about people who 
in, in a lesser socioeconomic income group are somehow not as good or not as safe to be around. They work, they come home, they, they eat, they drink, they sleep, they work, they laugh, they cry, they watch TV, just like we all do. We need to kind of really address that emotional response, I think. So a lot of the stagnation on this issue comes down to bias. For some, the bias may be subconscious, but it's there, and it was palpable at the housing summit that Martha went to. One of the photographs that, that one of the proponents of affordable housing showed at the end of the summit was a really nice uh, kind of traditional craftsman two-story house with a front porch. It was very nice. And he said, would you want one of these houses in your neighborhood? And some people said no, because we have these little cottages. We're not, we don't have roads that are wide enough. We don't have this and that to have a bigger house like that. Bigger house, would that be a multifamily home? It would be a multifamily. He was showing, it looks just like a normal house. You know, it looks like a neighborhood, a really nice neighborhood craftsman, but it would have two or three families in it. It would be designed that way. And I think that's the other thing. People think of affordable housing, um, as somehow tenement-like or not as nice as. And we have some really nice affordable housing. Socioeconomic biases are a major barrier in solving the affordable housing crisis. But it isn't just the upper class contributing to this systemic issue. Well, and there's another bias as well, besides the preserving generational wealth and status. There's also the hometown people, the people who were born and raised on the Cape. They don't necessarily want their neighborhoods to change. And that's and they're middle class. They're you know, all over the, the economic spectrum. And they don't really want the change either. So it's everybody who's comfortable here. Uh, everyone who's managed to find somewhere to live. Who's managed to find it, who's really wants to stay here and has good jobs and a nice home, which they bought for maybe 50000 30 years ago, and it's now worth half a million. They're happy. I mean, I've encountered that in conversations, so it's not just the uber-rich. There's also a really interesting in-between segment of the population contributing to this issue. Not middle-class folks, and not the uber-rich either, but people who, under the Airbnb model, can now afford a second home when they otherwise would not be able to. Here's how it works. If you have some extra cash on hand and want to be able to summer on Cape Cod like a local without breaking the bank, you can buy a house on Cape and then rent it out to locals all year long. Except for the summer months, when you and your family or high-paying vacationers will get to enjoy your charming beach cottage. Because of the high housing demand and low supply on Cape, you can get a huge chunk of change for renting, which you then use to offset the mortgage that you would not normally be able to afford. And that's a great idea, but the problem is that too many people are doing it, to the point where there aren't enough year-round rentals left to house all of Cape Cod's workers and residents. Here's Martha. One of the statistics that came out of the summit was while the total housing units in Barnstable County increased by more than 4,700 homes from 2010 to 2019, year-round occupied units decreased by more than 3,800. It was really pretty desperate times, if we will recall, and I think that's what happened a lot in the Cape. And of course, the problems we're having here on the Cape reflect national trends, too. I don't know what the millennials are going to do, or uh, Gen Zs. I, I don't know how they're going to ever afford this. It's frightening because those of us who are older, we, you know, 
you had a good job, you'd get a mortgage, you'd, you'd have a starter home. My first home was $36,000, and it was a brand-new four-bedroom, three-bath home. You know, now that home goes for a million-something, and, I mean, it's it, nobody starts out earning a million a year. You also can't just keep talking about it. The doomsday story is here, and it's not coming. It's It's really here. But you can't just kind of say, we need it, we need it, we need it. We have to get together and present a real plan on how the town can do it. And it takes research of what other communities are doing, what's successful, what could work here, what can't. And that's going to take a minute, but you got to start. This episode was hosted by me, Noelle Annanen, and written and produced by me and Gelda Geist. Special thanks to Tracy Sylvester, Jesse Remond, and Martha Ross. The Upper Cape Catch by The Enterprise comes out every Friday, just like our newspaper. Pick up your copy at our office in Falmouth or at your favorite local business. Or you can check us out online at capenews.net. We also have an app that is free to download on the App Store and Google Play. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time on The Upper Cape Catch.